Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I have never been inside a garden like my father's garden. It was just basically a jungle of green, and I would disappear into the garden in the summertime, after school sometimes in the early fall, and just look for worms and pick stones. When Melissa Lem was a little girl, her favorite place in the whole world was right in her backyard. She still remembers like it was yesterday. I could hear the sound of cicadas, especially when it would get hot. And I just remember me lying in the grass and looking up at the maple trees and the, the sprinkler going off um, when my dad would be watering the garden and trying to dodge it and, and play in it. And I used to think to myself when I was a kid, it, it was like the earth kind of singing. It was just a place where I could kind of experience everything with all my senses and also feel safe. But outside the gates of her father's garden, Melissa didn't always feel so safe. You see, Melissa grew up in the 1980s. It was a suburb of Toronto. Most of her neighbors were white. Because when you look different from your blue-eyed or, and brown-haired or blonde-haired classmates, kids notice a difference, right? I can remember a particular event, for example, this was a boy from my school. They start just yelling out ching-chong, like random um, syllables that they think sound Chinese and kind of stretching his eyes up with his fingers. And I just remember ignoring it, essentially. Like, I didn't respond to it at all. I pretended he didn't even exist. But at the same time, I felt like I didn't exist either. Feeling angry and ashamed, Melissa ran home and went to her father's garden, her safe haven. I think when you spend time around trees and around leaves and notice that everything's alive and that it's moving and that it's it's there and it's accepting, it makes you feel connected again. You know, when you have an experience with racism or with teasing or exclusion, it makes you feel like not part of that world. But then when you go into nature, it's accepting. Um, It doesn't judge you. It doesn't call names out at you. It provides food for you. Um, And it, it makes you feel like you're a valued part of the earth again. At the time, Melissa didn't fully understand why being in the garden felt so good. But her body and her brain just knew. As she grew older, her love of nature stuck with her. In college, through medical school, and now as a family doctor in Vancouver. Looking back with the lens of being a physician and knowing a lot about the health benefits of nature, I think this intuitive sense that I had that I feel better when I go to the garden was why I kept seeking it out. So it wasn't intentional, but I was really lucky that it was there. And I was really lucky that I could touch the earth and eat the cherry tomatoes and berries and feel better. Like Melissa, most of us also intuitively understand that hearing the sounds of the wind rustling through the trees or touching the earth feels good. But here's the thing. Nature doesn't just feel good. It's also good for us. And with Earth Day coming up this week, I thought now would be the perfect time to explore the physical and mental health benefits of nature, some of which you might not even know exist, and why some doctors are now even prescribing a dose of nature for their patients. Plus, 
we're going to learn tips anyone can use to get the benefits of green space no matter where you live. So it's time to grab some sunscreen, lace up your comfiest walking shoes, because we're about to head into the great outdoors. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and it's time to start chasing life. I still remember the first time I prescribed nature to a patient was over a decade ago. I thought he was going to call me crunchy granola and and roll his eyes at me, but he didn't because he understood intuitively that his ADHD was better when he spent time outside. Dr. Melissa Lem was one of the first doctors in Canada to start prescribing time in nature to her patients. She says there is a mountain of evidence, a mountain of research that demonstrates the health benefits of spending time outdoors. There was this 2018 meta-analysis that looked at a wide variety of different health conditions from diabetes to hypertension to birth outcomes, ADHD in children, eyesight in kids. And it found that almost across the board, these studies showed some benefit when people spent more time outside. So in general, the trend says that nature is good for our bodies and brains. Um, And it's backed up by lab studies, right, where they're looking at body hormones and neurotransmitters. Um, They're looking at blood pressure and heart variability response. When people spend time sitting in or looking at nature scenes versus urban scenes, these markers respond in a positive way. I mean, if you had your ideal patient visit, anything you could do, like what, what would it look like? Oh my gosh. I mean, it would be probably in the middle of a forest somewhere, right? Either yeah. either outside with open air or in a clinic, you know, with glass walls. So we could be looking at the woods because we know there's a lot of research showing that when people spend time even looking at nature or spending time in nature, they calm down and they become more pro-social. They become more, more open. So I think that would be wonderful if I had a clinic in the middle of the forest, <laughs> you know, with my ophthalmoscope and my, you know, my uh, thermometer and everything on the wall of a wooden cabin or something, seeing patients in the woods. I would love that. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's, as you say, maybe not realistic, but how we think about medicine, how we think about healing, I think is important, you know, for physicians to be thinking along those lines. I mean, I think we're so used to saying, okay, someone's hypertensive, what's the first thing we're going to do, you know, prescribe a medication. And the idea of nature as a therapeutic is, again, at once both really logical and yet revelatory in some way as well. What do you think is happening, Doc, with someone who is sitting in nature or even staring at nature? Is this a physiological thing? What do you think is happening? Well, there are a couple of psychological theories about why nature is so good for our brains. And the first one is attention restoration theory. And essentially, when we spend time in these busy urban environments with all the hard edges and lights and traffic and crowds, this tires out our powers of conscious attention. And this increases fatigue and irritability. Whereas when we spend time in nature, it's this source of soft fascination. So it's interesting, but it doesn't make us constantly have to focus to navigate our way around different obstacles. And that restores our powers of attention and reduces that fatigue and irritability. Hmm. There's a second theory called stress reduction theory, which says that when you spend time um, in a stressful environment, then spending time in nature actually allows you to recover faster. And this goes back to evolutionary thinking. Early humans who spent time in biodiverse environments, they had everything that they needed to survive. So they had sources of food, shelter, 
water. And so these brains kind of grew to want to spend time in these natural environments that were good for their survival. And they've really passed these nature-loving genes down to future generations like us. So it's really hardwired into us from an evolutionary sense as well. Maybe, you know, that goes without saying, but just being outside, it is almost, that is how human beings were designed. We went inside for shelter, but that wasn't where we were supposed to spend most of our time. We were supposed to spend most of our time in nature, on Earth, interacting in a symbiotic way with everything else that's living on this planet. I just find that really logical and it fits. Do we have any insights into what is specifically happening in in areas of the brain when they're exposed to nature? So scientists have used this fMRI technology to figure out how blood flow changes in the brain when you're exposed to different stimuli, whether they're rural or urban. So there was this recent study from Korea um, where they showed participants either rural photos like mountains and forests or urban built scenes for, for two minutes. And then they put them in this functional MRI. And what they showed was that when they saw these photos of urban scenes, blood flow and brain activity increased in the amygdala or the area of the brain that can sometimes be linked to impulsivity and anxiety. But the nature scenes actually increased activity in the anterior cingulate and insula, which are both linked to increased empathy and altruism. So calm and optimism and love, these all seem to be triggered when we even just look at photos of nature, but the impulsivity and anxiety increases with urban scenes. You know, this reminded me of an experience I had in Japan a while back, before the pandemic. I tried something called Shinrin-yoku, also known as forest bathing. Now, don't get the wrong idea. I didn't take my clothes off or even get wet. Instead, I just immersed myself in the atmosphere of the forest. It was a cold January day, I remember, just outside Tokyo. We were hiking through the forest, breathing in the crisp winter air. And I felt calmer. My heartbeat slowed. I was at peace. When I was done, I filled out a questionnaire and had some of my vitals checked. And both my cortisol and my blood pressure had dropped significantly. I asked Dr. Lem to explain the science behind this. I did take some time to experience a forest therapy session actually during the pandemic. I was a little skeptical about it because usually when I'm on a trail, I'm going, I'm running or I'm hiking fast. And so the thought of slowing down and connecting was a little bit foreign to me, but it was, it was amazing to me actually how, how easy it was to slip into that state of noticing my environment and slowing down from the little drops of water falling off the leaves to an ant crawling up the tree. I found that experience actually made me feel calmer and more connected than when I go for a hike, actually. And I'd really encourage people to do that. If they do tend to pound the pavement or pound the trail, you know, to actually take the time to slow down and and look and smell and feel. You know, I remember when I did this experience in Japan, they made a big point about something known as as phytoncides, these natural stress-busting chemicals, I guess. And we humans also have receptors for some of these phytoncides as well. So when we're breathing in the aroma of the forest, we may be breathing in phytoncides and could be helping boost immunity, bust stress, you know, a variety of things. Is that real? What do you think's happening? Yeah. So there has been research done on phytoncides looking at immune responses. And I think some of the most famous studies look at 
levels of your natural killer cells and immunoproteins before nature experiences and after. And what they found was that whether it's in a hotel room where you're just smelling the phytoncides for three nights or even on a real trail, you know, where they measure mm. the concentration of phytoncides in the air, they found that those natural killer cells, which fight off viruses and bacteria and immunoproteins increase and sometimes can stay boosted for as long as a month afterwards. You know, what's interesting, I think, though, about phytoncides is they're meant to fight off fungi and insects. But for humans, when we smell it, when we take in the smell of nature, it does seem to be good for us. I mean, should we all have air freshener phytoncides in our house? I mean, I realize being outside in nature is the ideal thing, but are there, are there little shortcuts like that? There absolutely are, which is interesting. So the smell of nature, the sound of nature, just looking at a photo of nature on your wall. In multiple studies, this has been shown to increase markers of mental health and also in terms of the smell of phytoncides, your immune system function. So, I mean, if you wanted to take a shortcut, if you didn't have time to go outside, you could actually fill your home with houseplants or play the sounds of birdsong um, because these have been shown to improve your health. But of course, nothing beats really going outside. How could you not want to preserve this when you hear all this, right? I mean, I remember playing a lot outdoors when I was a kid, breathing in the aroma of the trees and everything around me. And But it's different for kids these days. I mean, are we seeing a difference? Are we seeing an impact on the health of, of younger people because they're indoors more often? I think we absolutely are. So there's this crisis of too much screen time and not enough green time, right? There was a, a book by author Richard Louvre from the U.S. called The Last Child in the Woods, and he coined yeah. this term nature deficit disorder. So, you know, as you and I know, it's not an official medical diagnosis, but it really describes all of the different problems that can happen when we're not spending enough time outside. Kids are more nearsighted because they're staring at screens and not looking into the, the distance like they used to. Kids are having increased rates of obesity, even high blood pressure and diabetes we're seeing at younger ages and kids who are sedentary and not spending enough time outdoors where we're most healthy. Dr. Lem founded Parks Prescriptions in 2020 to try to get more people outside. It's the first national nature prescription program in Canada. And I have to say, it's a pretty exciting concept. We do have something similar here in the United States called Park Rx America. In Canada, licensed healthcare professionals who register with Parks Prescriptions can now prescribe a Canadian National Parks Visitor Pass to their patients. And I think that's important because often as physicians, we'll hand someone a prescription or we'll say, go do this thing. But it can be hard for them to do that thing, right? Like it can be hard for them to access nature. So I think in a real way, giving them a pass that makes it free for them to go to a national park or a national historic site um, or marine conservation area really allows them to access nature more easily. That's a really important point. I remember there were some doctors who started these prescriptions for for healthy foods and vegetables and things like that. And, you know, it is one thing to tell people to do something, but to actually make it something they can realistically incorporate into their lives, I think is, it's it's essential because patients won't be compliant or may not be compliant otherwise. C can you talk me th through how it might work if, let's say, I were a patient and I were to come to you what sorts of things, first of all, might warrant a Parks prescription, and how do you go about prescribing it? 
Well, nature is good for such a wide variety of conditions that it could almost be prescribed for anything. So that's not really limiting in that sense. But I would say that the types of patients I most typically prescribe nature to are adults with mental health concerns. And so if someone came into my office and presented with a health condition, what I would first do is kind of explore lifestyle factors, right? Like I'd look at how their diet was, um, if they were sleeping enough, how much exercise they were getting. And the fourth component I always add now is how much time outdoors they're getting. And Mm -hmm. so if the person happens to not be spending much time outdoors, I would talk to them about the evidence behind it. And so we have a standard recommendation that patients spend at least two hours in nature each week and at least 20 minutes each time. And that's backed up by research as well. And then we work in a patient-centered way to figure out how to incorporate nature into their everyday lives. So figure out what green spaces are nearby, um, what they like to do, what their commute to work is like. You know, can you walk or bike through a greenway instead of taking the car? Um, We just really work to make sure that it's something that they can do and then follow up after that. Um, follow up and see how they're doing and keep reinforcing how important nature is. That is interesting. You do have a specific dosage, if you will, two Mm -hmm. hours. How do you quantify that? Well, the two-hour recommendation comes from a study that was done in in the UK where they looked at almost 20,000 adults and they asked them how much time they spent in nature recreationally each week. And then they found that when they reached 120 minutes a week was when actually they reported significantly higher health and well-being. Hmm. The 20 minutes each time recommendation comes from a study that also came out in 2019 that looked at just over 30 adults and they measured their cortisol levels when they were having a nature experience and when they weren't. And what they found was that between that 20 and 30 minute mark was when their cortisol levels dropped most efficiently. And, you know, we're really busy. You know, a lot of us live in cities. We have lots of things going on in our lives. So if you want the biggest bang for your buck for cortisol and stress, it seems like that 20 to 30 minute mark is the sweet spot. And a stroll through your neighborhood with trees, does that count? Do you know what's really interesting in some of these studies is that nature has been self-defined. So if you feel like you've had a meaningful experience in nature, you can get those health benefits. So if we can change our minds to think that we're having a nature experience in our neighborhood park or even in our, in our garden, in our backyard, we can reap those benefits, it seems. When you prescribe this, is this now considered a lifelong therapy? How long do patients receive the prescription for? It's supposed to be a lifelong prescription, right? We we want to make nature time the fourth pillar of health, just as important as diet and exercise and healthy sleep at maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So it is a prescription for life. It's not like antibiotics where you take it for seven days or two weeks or whatever. It's something that we really want people to incorporate down the line. And the research does show that it results in, in better health outcomes. I'm a pretty goal-oriented person, so sometimes... It's just hard for me to slow down and take it all in. I'll admit it. It's hard for me to pay attention to the world around me as much as I should. But when I do, it's pretty magical. Nature is all around us. We just don't take advantage of it as much as we can. Or we should. If you're not sure where to start, that's okay. Because after the break, we're heading into the great outdoors for our own dose of nature. I feel free. I feel happy. I feel joyful. I can just sit here and admire nature. So I can't help but to smile when I see it. We'll be back in a moment. And now back to Chasing Life. 
such a dreary day. It's chilly, it's cold. But I look at this day like kind of the advent of spring, you know? We're, everything is about to open up, get warmer. Jennifer Roberts is an associate professor at the University of Maryland School of Public Health. She studies how our environment influences physical activity and health outcomes. And I think you can hear in her voice just how much she loves spending time outdoors. In fact, she takes a stroll around campus pretty much every day. This morning, I heard like this kind of choir of birds singing. And I think all of these elements of nature are just kind of therapeutic in a way. You know, you can't help but like have a smile on your face when you hear birds like talking to each other. You know, at least I think they're talking to each other. It sounds like they're talking to each other. In 2019, Jennifer and a few others on campus founded the Nature Rx at UMD program. The initiative aims to promote more research and to support students' well-being. You know, a lot of our students do struggle, and then particularly because of the pandemic. And so I think nature can help them pause, help them disconnect. So we asked Jennifer to take us on a nature walk around UMD's sprawling campus and do it the same way she does with her students. We're technically an urban campus, but you can still find little nuggets of, you know, natural space that kind of pulls you and gets you away from that urbanization aspect of the campus. Oh, there we go, the geese. Isn't that funny? I said, see, they came to greet us. <laughs> now we're up here. It's the, the spot that I was going to take you to. It's one of my favorite spots, natural spots on campus because you can really, really feel that you've kind of escaped. It's this tree canopy, and I just love walking back and forth through it. Sometimes you can even just hear a little bit of the water movement because there's a creek behind us as well. And this really floods your senses. As we walk through the trees, Jennifer describes a shift in her mood. I feel free. I feel an admiration of nature. One of my favorite quotes is from Alice Walker. She says, admiration from nature can save us. Seeing how things that man does not control, how can you not admire these aspects of nature? So I feel free. I feel happy. I feel joyful. I feel, you know, I can just sit here or stand here rather and admire nature. It's therapeutic, you know, for me. And so I can't help but to, you know, smile when I see it. Jennifer also has personal knowledge of just how healing nature can be for her. She says spending time outdoors has been a crucial part of her own self-care regimen for multiple sclerosis. That's an autoimmune disease that can cause nerve damage over time, often affecting mobility. When I was first diagnosed over 20 years ago with MS, I really had a lot of doubts and uncertainty. Like, I didn't know if in the next 5, 10, 20 years, if I was still going to be able to walk without assistance or walk even at all. I realized, you know what? While I can walk, let me walk as much as I can. While I can move, let me move as much as I can. Then it was kind of like, well, let me do it outside, you know, because I already was a person who loved nature. And so I actually believe that Going outside in nature has helped with my mobility, helped with my ability to just have strength. 
And then the other thing is that, you know, one of the issues with multiple sclerosis is dealing with anxiety. And so nature has helped me kind of decompress. So if I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling nervous, I can go outside and cope. I can go outside and have things calm. I can go outside and think, you know what? Things are not that bad because look how beautiful this world is. Jennifer's story is powerful, and it shows how something so simple like a walk outside can really go a long way. So I asked our experts for tips to incorporate more nature into our lives. And here's one tip from Dr. Melissa Lem. Seek out nature wherever you can. So look for your community park. Go for a walk. See what's in your in your neighborhood. Google map it. You know, see what little spots of green might pop up and then make those part of your everyday routine and slow down and notice the bark on the trees, notice the wind and the leaves and have that time of slowing down and connection. Tip two, consider redefining what qualifies as nature to you. In some ways, especially for us who live in cities, we have to reconceive our idea of what nature is. And really when you take it down and, and you know one level further, we are nature, right? Like I've spoken with Indigenous elders who have said, how can you go out into nature when we're part of nature? Like we have a microbiome, like a living world inside of us. And so, you know, even just focusing on yourself, looking at the sky, you know, breathing when you feel stressed can help. Tip three comes from Professor Jennifer Roberts. Even if you don't live near green spaces, you can still make nature part of your daily life. A good portion of people of color or people, low-income um, individuals, don't have an access to nature or a park or trail or something of that sort within a 10-minute walk of their home. And so I've recognized that there are some obstacles and some barriers. And so sometimes I say, well, if you can't necessarily maybe get to a natural spot, how can you bring nature maybe into your home? Maybe a plant nature sounds, and you just have the sound of the water. And tip four, when you do head outdoors, try to also get moving. So when you add in physical activity to your nature exposure experience, usually you increase the duration of that exposure, so you stay out there longer, or you increase the frequency, so you'll keep going back, you know, the next day or or two days later basically kind of creates this synergy of just positive outcomes because you're getting your physical activity as well as the benefits from being outside. While researching this episode, I learned about something I wanted to share with you. It's an idea called the 330-300 rule. What that means is that everyone should be able to see three trees from their window, and there should be at least 30% tree cover in every city, and we should live no more than 300 meters away from a park. I love that idea. And it feels doable. When we protect the environment around us, we're also protecting our own health. Remember that. And we're protecting the health of future generations. I've seen that positive impact nature has had on my own family. Last summer, my girls went on a camping trip to Colorado. It was a cell phone-free trip, which they were a little worried about. But you know what? Surprisingly... They loved it. And when they came back, I noticed something. They were happier. They were more engaged. They were more present. They looked me in the eyes when they spoke to me. And we had these wonderful conversations. I think my next project now is to make this stick so it's not just a once-a-year sort of thing, 
but a part of their daily lives. As Dr. Lem said, nature is a lifetime prescription. I'd love to hear how you're incorporating more nature into your daily life. If you've tried some of these tips, please let us know. Record your thoughts as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. We might even include them on an upcoming episode of the podcast. You know, last week we talked about learning new languages, and I asked you to share your experiences putting our tips into action in your day-to-day lives. We got some great responses, including this one I wanted to share with you. Hi, Dr. Sanjay. My name is Lydia. I love this episode about language. As I grew up speaking Mandarin at home and picked up Cantonese naturally when I was a kid, and I'm now 32, I started learning French and Japanese. Language is all one of those things that can break down all barriers for communication. And also, it's so much easier for me to build up connection with other people. Just try to learn a little bit more about others. And it's definitely one of the tools that we can understand each other a little bit more. Thanks so much to everyone who called in and emailed. I'd really love to hear that these tips could be working for you. So keep the messages coming. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. Our podcast is produced by Emily Liu, Xavier Lopez, Isuke Samuel, and Grace Walker. Our production assistant is Allison Park. Our intern is Eduardo Ocampo. Our medical writer, Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, and Courtney Coop from CNN Audio. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.